0: Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D.
1: thought a good way to start would just be for a one or two minute introduction all around you know quick who you are and what your company does and then we would just dive right into free flowing conversation because we've got a lot of we've got some interesting folks here from the construction industry people in the CAD industry kind of on the front new end of the CAD industry as well and CAM and analysis so I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but but something's going to happen. We'll start with that. You all know me, I'm Ron Fritz, CEO of Techsoft 3D. If you didn't know me, it would be weird that you got this invite. Um, okay. we'll, I'll just go by the way I see the pictures. Yavuz, will you introduce yourself, please?
2: Sure. My name is Yavuz, and I'm the founder and manager director of Bojo Works, a German company focused on developing CAM technologies, CAM for the manufacturing industry to keep CAC machines running. And we also work closely with CAT companies. We are looking at uh, the Shaper topic at the iPad, which is a brilliant application. I tested myself uh, because to do the chat, we need the CAT input. And also with entopology, we are familiar because we are in the additive area. We are developing additive toolpaths as well. So I'm
1: excited to to be in the round here today. Great. Uh, How about you, Mark?
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Sawyer. I work with uh, Trimble in Colorado. Trimble is um, originally a a GPS positioning company and now has about 60% of our business is software and not necessarily hardware and GPS systems. And uh, I work in the construction sector here, strategy and business development uh, activity before I came to Trimble via acquisition of a company I founded called Vico Software. Also in the construction industry, before that, I was CEO at a company called Atlas, which made SketchUp, it sold that to Google, and now that's at Trimble, too. So, essentially, both my last two companies are at Trimble these days.
1: And even before that, Mark was at Autodesk. And speaking of Autodesk, Rick, how about you introduce uh, yourself? Well, am, I, am I next on your screen? Yes. Yeah, so, Rick yeah. Rundell, Autodesk.
4: I, uh, so, I presently at Autodesk, I lead our, um, our technology centers, which are uh, basically a an open innovation research function focused on the future of making, how digital information makes real things. Uh, And I lead facilities in Toronto, Boston, San Francisco, and we also have one in uh, Birmingham, UK. My background is I'm an architect in architecture for many years doing uh, buildings for uh, science and research and learning, and then moved into uh, technology with uh, Revit as a startup and joined Autodesk at Revit in uh, 2002 and have had a number of roles uh, at Autodesk since then, including um, rolling out the, the, you know, building the evangelism around uh, building information modeling, putting together our first cloud and mobile computing software for the construction industry, which is now BIM 360. Um, and then eventually I ended up getting involved in the innovation space where I am now.
1: Great. How
5: about Julie's thumb? Hey everyone, I'm, um, I'm the founder and CEO of Shaper 3D, uh, where we are building a CAT system for the iPad Pro at the moment. And soon our Mac product is going to be launched, and also Shaper 3D is coming to, uh, to Windows very soon. Our product is one of the flagship apps of the iPad Pro. We, are, we have been featured several times in different Apple uh, marketing events. And uh, as far as I know, we are the fastest growing cat companies in SOLIDWORKS. And by some
1: metrics, we are growing faster than SOLIDWORKS actually. Got it. Excellent. How, how about you, Matt?
6: Hey, I'm, I'm Matt cederberg I'm the CEO of Coreform. So Coreform, we're developing next generation finite element analysis, simulation technology that can, we're commercializing what's called isogeometric analysis. So running simulation directly on whatever, the original data input is. So that could be the cad rep, it could be a scanned file. Um, we're starting to do some work on implicit um, surfaces. So um, before that, I was the CEO of T-Splines. Um, we made some industrial designs technology and we sold that to Autodesk in 2011. So then I ran Alias Autodesk for a while.
7: Gotcha,
1: great. And how about you, Blake? Hi, everybody.
7: Uh I'm I'm Blake. Let's see. I'm the CTO of Entopology. Before that, I was with GrabCat and then Stratasys. But let's see. I started a company before that called Space Claim where I got to know Mark, but I'm advising Istvan. I know Rick's I met Rick socially in the Boston electronic art scene. Uh <laughs> Mark, I, I worked with very closely in the early uh space claim days and oh, wish we tried right. to work yeah. closer together. That was a bad decision from my side, Mark, if I never said that out loud. Uh, So yeah, it's great to to be here. (laughs) We We have for at
5: least a few days, right? Like...
7: (laughs) I was trying to buy him. Yeah, (laughs) We said no, because we wanted to do an A round and then they got bought by Google three months later and I had to work for Mike Payne for a while. It was awful. And the 10 year slog, we would have done better. (laughs) I would have done better with with the deal with Mark in, in, in one year.
1: Awesome. Well, that's great. It, as I mentioned, there's a diverse bunch of smart people with great experience. Um, and obviously, COVID has turned the world upside down. There's some really obvious things to anybody out there that, you know, collaboration software, this kind of video software, hardware for good, you know, for being able to have good video on calls like this. But surely there's some important things that are going to happen in our industry and kind of engineering software both in building and manufacturing and there's going to be some areas that are really ripe for innovation as people come out of this come out of the fog of covid and say shit you know this this might happen again and how can we be prepared or where should we be investing in innovation Um, so since i have to put somebody on the spot to put it to get the ball rolling and since you have the word innovation in your title Rick, I'm just going to start with you and get
0: your thoughts (laughs) and see where it
4: goes. Oh, my goodness. All right. There you go. (laughs) Um, So, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. It's a little bit orthogonal, but about how how our use of the physical environment, the nature of the physical environment, and the use of the physical environment is going to change as a result of this pandemic. Um, And then, you know, a second order effect is well, what kind of tools are people going to need in order to better understand? that um that environment. So in the in the first category I think of the conversations everybody's having about well you know what's the future of office space you know what is it you know what is the future of working from home um bigger questions is like why do cities matter like why why do what are cities for if we don't all commute into them to be together and work together so big questions that I know you know lots of people in the in the world are thinking about and then assuming that we Do decide that we all want to be in the same place from time to time. And what are the functions of those places? And how do we make them safer and more resistant to this, the kind of effects that we're experiencing the pandemic? And, you know, it's taken us a long time to understand exactly how this disease is transmitted, but it turns out it's, you know, through mostly through aerosolized particles in the air, as opposed to all of the obsession that we had about, you know, wiping our groceries down with alcohol wipes, you know, to start with, right? So um, Just like, you know, probably starting uh, 15 years ago, 20 or 15 years ago, we were looking for tools to better understand energy use in the built environment. You know, what, you know, architects didn't deliberately design buildings that were inefficient from an energy point of view. They just didn't have tools for understanding how those buildings would perform. So by providing those kinds of tools to um, the design industry, we're able to shed a illuminate that in the, those designs with a different kind of light that gave people a different perception. I think we need now similar tools for illuminating those designs in terms of uh, safety factors for sanitation and um, and health. So very very early days thinking about that. But if you think about other, you know, other eras, you know, when um, you know much of how cities are built today were influenced by earlier pandemics, right? So things that we take for granted in terms of sanitation and plumbing um, and ventilation are, were really the results of trying to avoid this kind of thing, you know, a hundred years ago. Right. Uh, right. So it's not, you know, it's, it, it may seem radical to all of us, but it doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't necessarily feel radical. Um, so clean, and of clean course,
1: areas. Go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah.
4: And everybody's talking about collaboration software and collaborating remotely. So I, you know, that's, you know, that of course, but I think you know, for, for me personally, that where I'm looking forward to innovation is in the in the built environment and the tools that are delivered for um, designing that environment.
1: Yeah, so it's like keep keeping the air circulating cleanly is is the new is the new out it's the new indoor plumbing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any follow on thoughts to that, or you want to refute? Anyone want to refute what? What Rick had to say, you're wrong on every point. Yeah, Rick. go ahead. I'll let, disagree with I'll that. I'll let someone I'll let someone else, I'll let totally someone else wrong on why.
6: I
3: <laughs> have... I, think um, those,
5: but, I'm sorry.
3: I was just gonna say I thought those were all a bunch of really good points. The in and as Rick said, everybody's talking about collaboration and you know, this kind of uh, remote meeting and that type of thing. I do think I do think remote presence gets redefined, and I don't mean just The ability for us to sit with video and look at each other. You know, back when everybody was making 3D caves in their office to kind of show off and win new business, you know, I I saw limited use cases where it was really economically viable. If you're maintaining an underwater offshore drilling rig and you need an underwater, welder to go down there and okay, that's good remote presence stuff. It's it's incredibly expensive (laughs) and worth a lot of money. That was about it. And so now I I do think an example that really opened my eyes, and Ron's heard me use this example before, is a city inspector. You know, our customers in construction wait for municipalities to come out and do an inspection before they can go on to the next thing. So they're they're constantly trying to find work they can do while they're waiting for an inspector to come and approve something they can move forward with on that, okay? So, they're also juggling the schedule and, you know, doing all kinds of gymnastics for that. And, you know, one municipality that I know of, and I'm assuming it happened more than than I know about, is, you know, did this remote inspection where a worker who is normally on site anyway is walking around with a camera and and the inspectors back in his office in the city county building, and never had to commute out to the site. Inspected the work, uh, passed on it, and things moved on. That kind of remote presence is going to get better. And you know, when you think of you think of cameras, you think of three D imaging, you think of you know holographic communication and and imaging and those kind of things. I do think we're in the infant stages of 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 that and. Our gaming friends are going to teach us a lot about how to make remote presence work for design teams, construction teams, probably manufacturing teams and that type of thing, where it, it's a lot different experience than what you and I are doing this morning, right? So I I see a lot of room for technology there and making elaborate 3D uh, remote presence affordable. You were going to add something earlier, Isvan? Yeah,
5: yeah, I have terrible contrarian views about the future of remote working. <laughs> Honestly, I That's think why that, you're that, here. But <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think that there is like much less is going to change than, than, than most people anticipate right now. Um, I think that all the conclusions that are being drawn about the future of remote working and working in general are based on observations that, that, that were made in a very special time then you can literally not do anything else but eating, sleeping, and working. And these are your three options at the moment. And now we are we are drawing conclusions that, yeah, like this is the future of work because things are working more or less the same as before. But I think that this is this is just just wrong. <laughs> for for two reasons. Uh, reason number one is that if you look back in terms of technology, not much has changed in the last 12 months. So if remote working would be actually more efficient and more effective than, than co-located working, we should have seen category leaders and market leaders in the software space software space emerging as remote first companies. But if I look at the most successful remote first companies or fully remote companies, those are always the second or third ones in their space, like GitLab, mm-hmm. for example, versus GitHub, or Envision versus Figma. Right? And I think the the uh the other thing that's must not be dismissed is that people are saying that yeah, the office is really just a space to uh, socialize and the people and people are spending a lot of time with socialization and 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 spending a lot of time with each other without working. And this is something that when people are talking about this, it feels like they're despising this. But this is what makes us human beings, and this is something that I think we should actually embrace. Like these relationships are just as important as as everything else that is related to work and these bonds that you develop with your physical presence are actually super helpful in developing that trust that is the foundation of collaboration so i think that and and i think that what most companies especially big companies have realized that we can actually make this remote thing work for things that are probably not that important maybe not even part of our core business so let's make maybe 30, 40% of our workforce workforce, technically contractors, right? And what, what these employees don't realize is that this will eventually make them second-class citizens in these companies. And I think I can totally imagine a future, and I might be wrong, but I can totally imagine a future where having, having an office space in a company is actually a perk. It's something that you are going to be proud of. It's something that, that that will be a status symbol that I have a I have a physical presence in the office because the company is willing to pay for, for that office space because I'm so important for that company. So I think that what we will see is that second-tier jobs will become remote, but I think that first tier positions and first tier uh, roles are going to be mostly
1: co-located. Interesting.
2: It's a good talk is and uh, we are going to switch the policy as well after COVID. So we are building a new company, building 450 more people. So we are investing heavily. And um, But still what we will do is we will not go back to the old normal. So we will not ask everybody to come to the office. Um, so what we will do is we will split the people to two categories. The one is the travelers and the other are the settlers. The settlers are the ones who commit to come to the office at least three days, four days per week. Then they will have a desk. They will be in their room with their own desk. They can put the picture of their family on their desk, and nobody will touch their desks. And the travelers, they will have only um, the obligation to come once or twice per week to the office. But the rest, they can be traveling. They can be um, in Bahamas uh, doing their job. They can be at home. We don't care. They don't need to be in the office, but they don't have uh, the right to own a desk. So they need to just uh, use one of the pool desks. And this is a concept that has been worked out uh, in Germany by some some folks, and we find okay, that looks quite good. And we are now working on implementing this policy in our uh, office rules, and uh, and we are going to switch to this after September when we are back to the office uh, after the, the science are finished in Germany.
6: Yeah, that's that's a really cool idea because we're wrestling with that same thing about whether to just completely get rid of our office, and I. I like the op, the uh, settlers and travelers idea. I I think for for younger companies and startups, um, so like Coreform over the last year, every like our ability to hire has just really improved because no longer do we have to track everyone to Utah, so we just get the best people wherever they are without them feeling like they're second class citizens. And So that, I I think for startups this it's hard to imagine kind of going. Maybe, maybe you, you delay having an office for a while because there's just so much to be gained by having a broad hiring pool.
1: As a trade-off between that bonding of like, you know, hey, we're all in this together. We're we're the startup team and make another pot of coffee because it's going to be a long night kind of thing versus being able to mm-hmm. attract anybody independent of location. I, I think that, that, that part about remote working that you have
5: global talentful access. I think that's that's just partially true. Because what you have is global remote talentful access. There are a lot of people who are maybe less vocal about their opinions but don't want to work remotely. They actually want, want to have an office and they want to want to be around people. So like like having that access, yes, that's somewhat true and, and certainly there are people who want to work remotely, but
1: definitely not not everyone. It's like you're looking really thoughtful. We're we're
7: working through these issues right now. I was, you know, I spent a half hour discussing this with uh, our head of HR yesterday. She's trying to figure out what our policies are, and we're talking about doing things like the the travelers and the settlers. I like that metaphor. Ishvan, you made it. You made a point I've heard made by 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 early stage startup CEOs before. That, and, and I think there's there's some some truth to it, especially when a company is forming its culture. I think forming culture is hard to do uh, remotely at grabcad we were a three site company we had cambridge uk cambridge massachusetts and Tallinn, estonia and each office had its own culture we had some shared work values that were very important you know like you know code quality and and, and testing and so forth but but the, so the processes were uniform but we did, and it was fun going to a different office cuz it would be a different culture you know so so i, I really enjoyed that but later, I found that when I started doing more technical work, that my most effective day was to spend a half day in the office every morning, I go in, walk around with people sort out whatever politics needed sorting out. And then after I get usually get lunch with somebody and go home right after lunch, I go in early and leave early to miss the rush hour. And I just go home and write code. And this is when I it's getting into implicit modeling. And that was, I, I look at that as some of the most productive time of, of my life and value highest value creation. And then you know, it, but on the other hand, you know, Brad had a very similar opinion to you when I joined Entopology and and it was difficult being a remote worker and also trying to be a leading executive at the company and build out the company. That was that was a very very challenging task for me personally, and I did have to travel a lot to make it work with the human beings involved. So I think there's a lot of truth to to, to all of these things, I, you know, but one of the reasons I was always going into Stratasys every day was there were 3D printers there, and I was always printing parts and doing tests, so I had to go in. The other, I, I'll just make a personal point because i, I we are still sorting through this as well. But I, you know, I think we've all done a lot of traveling in our careers. We've had to, and and I'll tell you that for me, being at home and working from home, I've been very productive. I've got a baby girl, and and you know, and and I, and with my wife here, we're we're very very happy. So I feel like, yeah, you know, despite it being a very stressful and scary year, I've had kind of the most sort of, in terms of work-life balance, maybe I feel like I finally achieved that for the first time. And I don't even know what to do with that. So uh, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, but I think there are going to be a lot of different models that work. Yeah.
1: Yep. So there's one one thing that governments will always turn to in a stimulation package is investing in infrastructure and, you know, fixing, quote unquote, crumbling roads and and bridges. But I think there's also going to be a desire to say, okay, we're going to invest in infrastructure with the assumption that it's a different world going forward. As Rick was saying, like spaces might get used differently. Energy is going to be different. So if, um, you know, where would you expect, if you're an investor and you say, there's going to be money spent on infrastructure, where are you going to put your, what kinds of things are you going to look for to put your money on? Education. Education.
2: Yeah, because what I see is, um, I mean, the subject is the innovation after COVID 19 times. And what I, I realized, because we, I had a lot of time for the last 12 months to think about different things at, at the zoom out perspective, right? Because the operational tasks have been less and we uh, has been less distraction and hassle. And um, so, what, one thing i really realized is that uh, the stuff that I've been working on I started a quarter century ago, 25 years ago. I write the first line of code for cam manufacturing. Now we have 200 people and we still do the same and it's just getting to everybody, to every desk, our technology, right? And I think it's very similar with you guys what to do. So it takes ages. It takes typically 25 years to get the technology properly established, right? And, but if you look at the COVID situation, we didn't have the time of 25 years to find a vaccine. So we said, okay, let's get a vaccine. Let's produce billions of it. And, and we did, so that means if things are serious, we can make a moon landing, and they did. And uh, now the next big topic after COVID will be the climate change. So we need to decarbonize everything in the 10 years, 20 years timeframe, right? And I think we can do it, but what we need to do is we cannot rely just on the 1 billion people in the Western world and the engineers ourselves to do it. We need to get uh, from the pool of 7 billion people so if we can, uh, in the Western world, increase the education level, and also get access to developing countries, education increase, we will have enough engineering source. And then we need to find out better ways, not compete each other in a sense that everybody is doing the same, but slightly different, but say, okay, there is, let's say, one, uh, one solution here, one solution there, but we don't need to have 40 different solutions and then such uh, organize ourselves in proper supply chains and try to shorten the 25 years to five years. And I think if you get there with proper education, with good uh, unlimited amount of engineering capacity on the one side and uh, a real boost on mindset changing that uh, helps us to share the resources in terms of the supply chain that we don't want to own end to end everything, but um, let, let's say uh, for Shaper 3 there is the parasolid engine running there, so you are not developing your CAT engine. If you need simulation you use and topology and so on. I think uh, as we go into the components and have more uh, educated staff, we have some chance that we can solve the to- topics of the work needed in the next 5 to 10 years. Otherwise, if we keep doing what we have been doing, we will not get different results, right? So, we will get the same results, we will need to spend the next 25 years and we will all retire at that point, and we will say, well, we didn't fix most of the things. We fixed 20%, so the 80% is for our kids and grandkids, <laughs> right? So that, that was the kind of um, thinking I had over the last 12 months. And I struggled hard to find good examples where innovation was very successful in a very short time frame, like the launch of iPad, iPhone from, uh, from Steve Jobs, launch of Tesla from Elon Musk, the launch of the biotech shots or Moderna shots and so on. And I've seen many, many other examples in construction industry, manufacturing, where they will still need a quarter century because they are just slow and it's, it has been like this and they are not going to change it, right? And, uh, and then one last topic I would like to raise here is in terms of a successful innovation is, um, if you look at um, the, the, the new computer chips running three nanometers technology, These chips are coming from TSMC. They have 50% worldwide market share. They do the chips in Taiwan and they buy machines from a sole supplier called ASML from Philips. A machine costs a billion dollars. And these machines are built with the technology of Carl Zeiss with the optics and Troop with the laser. They are also single sole sources of supply chain. So it's amazing to see if these smart people, everybody innovating their piece, and at the end, you can buy an iPhone with a uh, five nanometer technology and next year it, it will be three nanometers. You have incredible computation power. This seems it is working. So it is like the BioNTech working with Pfizer to make these vaccines it's not only working, but also in the billions. And I, I think if you ask me the question about innovation after COVID times, I think if we use this as an opportunity to think a bit harder on what kind of things we would like to change I think we can see it like, that. okay, that's the mind, that's the kind of before Christmas, after Christmas, we need to maybe start with a new mindset uh, after the COVID timeframe and, and use this as an, as an opportunity that we all have time to scratch our heads and to, to review what worked in the past good and what needs to be changed.
7: Just briefly, I just wanna strongly, strongly agree with your sentiment that investing in education globally is the most important thing that we can do for the future of humanity. Everything you said, also poverty, uh, population, uh, the data shows that education is the most important thing to uh, advance the world forward uh, in almost every level that we consider to be good.
1: Well, it seems like we should drop the mic right at that, but but we still have time, so, we have to, <laughs> so, so we'll have to think of something to say. Um, well, so so education, in terms of you know, rebuilding, building the world differently in an innovative way, so beyond... beyond uh, education you know where else is it going what's what's changing in, in manufacturing that's not temporary you know that's that's mm-hmm. not just okay well for now we've got to deal with this COVID thing but a lasting change of collapsing supply chains or is that i can provide
7: of, a, a tangible temporary? example that's COVID related yeah. um yeah. so early on there was demand for swabs for testing and supply chains were crumbling And all these people were sitting around with their 3D printers trying to figure out how they could help. And one of the really good ideas to emerge from that was was the swab project. Um, Started by Summer Decker at Tampa General and then brought, uh, I think, uh, some folks in Boston. I know that Rick Phillip at Desktop Metal advanced a lot of ideas and got a lot of people working on the problem together. We got called because people didn't know how these things should work. They were using swabs and they needed to go to these plastic things. And so they wanted lattices. And... We were thrilled that we could make a contribution. Annika from our team created a design of experiments with lots of different things. Because the, the beautiful thing about the swabs is that you print them vertically, you can pack a lot of them in. It's one of the really few economically good products for 3D printing <laughs> nowadays. Um, many are coming, but in terms of a mass production product. And so we did it, set up a trade, did a design of experiments. We did the tests, and some of the swabs worked. So we had swabs in the market. Others went along and copied them and then uh, they followed. But we got We helped. We helped Origin and some other folks get uh, swabs in the market very quickly um, because we could automate the manufacturing process and the design process. We could take something that was that would have been a serial and linear process and turn it into a parallel process. And we could use the computer to do most of the work. And that was our, that was the power of entopology and and the power of using fields and and physics and, and engineering to drive the designs instead of causing having people draw all these funny things. So, so to me generative design i'll throw out our buzzword uh the idea of using knowledge maybe all these educated folks can put their knowledge into engineering systems that know empirically how things respond to to forces to to to, to 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 understand the environment and then you can end up with parts that are a little better look this is a manufacturing productivity design productivity story but we it was really great that we were able to participate in one aspect and see it have a transformational effect Really
4: cool. So I, I would say so that's a great example, Blake. And I, was, I uh, you know, within when when the, within weeks of us shutting down our offices, the the uh, the cry from uh, Autodesk employees for us to do something with our maker facilities, right? It's like we got to be making PPE. And some somebody suggested, you know, some senior leader in the healthcare industry in Boston said, "Oh, you know, everybody should be." 3D printing N95 masks. I'm like, oh my God, that was, you know, turned out not to be a good idea. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, uh, we eventually found our way to being able to make uh, face shields uh, pretty pretty effectively and then make a contribution to, to what was done. So that, be, that became a very motivating thing for our employees and, and it made a little bit of a difference in the supply chain. But I think the, from the manufacturing, from the supply chain point of view, I think that everybody was kind of blindsided by how fragile supply chains are right and then think about the metaphor of a chain. you know one link breaks and you don't really have a chain anymore. And so I think moving to um, less fragile you know supply networks or supply meshes or whatever metaphor you want to use um, as opposed to a chain is something that that people are becoming more aware of. We were kind of lured, we were kind of lured by the economics of distributed supply chains into a maybe a false sense of security until something really shook that up. Um, you know, no, nobody had really pressure tested that idea, right?
1: Yeah, we were kind of. Um, so I think that's
4: gonna, that's going to change.
1: Yeah. yeah, we were moving toward a, this. You know, the, the the world is flat. You know, there's a you know, borders are <laughs> yeah. an illusion. You know, it's yeah. all, <laughs> one big connected network. Um, but then, in parallel, of course, there's COVID. But then there's political movements all over the place of of companies wanting, to, countries wanting to be more and more isolated. Things like Brexit. Uh, we've had our issues here in the US as well with, with, you know, kind of pulling in and getting less actually globally connected, even while yeah, as Yavuz described, the power of being able to do things across these borders is really, really huge. It's a s- strange tug and pull. Uh, we could
4: we could get into a conversation about the opposition of capital and labor, but that might
1: take us a little far from the topic here. I have to set up a <laughs> Is set up a different one? News
4: um, yeah, this, this is an example. It's very capital intensive.
1: Well, communication—it's
7: kind of tools are are challenging, right? Like, you know, to what role is social media causing folks to isolate and develop more extreme thoughts? Not to sort of talk to their talk to their neighbors and understand what other people are, are experiencing and, and what their situations like. You would think, you know, us idealists in the '90s thought the internet was going to bring the world together, and for a while it did. Until the system started to show some secondary effects. At Entopology, going from a mostly single site in New York um, to to a distributed team, we had to change communication, and frankly, our internal communications, documentation, specs—all those kind of details—rather that rather than being decided in a conference room, uh, were put into paper. Um, and Obviously, that's better for remote workers, but also means that we have more equity in what we do. We can actually look up at the spec. What did we decide? What were we talking about a year ago? Rather than having been erased from a whiteboard or be a photo of the whiteboard on somebody's phone. And so, I don't, re- I don't, I don't really have a, a statement here. But we know that communication is important to the structure of society, and the the, the aspect of remote work, you know, maybe some of that
1: reflects into it. Mm. And Mark, on the in the construction world, there's been this move toward more modular construction, and one of the benefits is you need fewer people, which reduces your labor costs. But also, when you don't need as many people, you can actually make it safer in a in a pandemic. Has there been, and do you think there will continue to be this kind of rapid move toward modular construction and 3D printing buildings? Right?
3: Um, yeah. I I think the, the move toward modular and or, uh, (laughs) offsite prefab kind of methods in construction was awfully strong before the pandemic and the pandemic didn't, didn't do anything to dampen that enthusiasm. So I think, you know, kind of as, as construction gets back to work and I think most firms are now, um, the, uh. The trend will continue as much as as much as you can do offsite, whether that's prefabrication, offsite assembly, or full-blown, you know, kind of modular uh, philosophy uh, behind uh, manufacturing buildings. That that will continue. That there's the economic the economic drivers, the the efficiency drivers in that equation are immutable. they're inarguable. The issue is, can I get the building I want that way? Mm-hmm. And what's it going to take to get, get the building I want that way? And those are kind of long lead items, right? So you can't take a project that's in progress and because a pandemic hit, decide to put some of the work offsite. It had to have already been designed and preconceived that it was going to be done that way. Logistically, it's not an alternative. It's it's an originating plan to do off site. So we kind of see that will continue. You do get safety benefits, you do get productivity benefits, you do get a more predictable supply chain because you got routine deliveries to a routine site, not mm-hmm. custom deliveries to a one-time construction site. Right. And so you can actually you can actually plan ahead on some of your materials and, and have at your offsite facility more than you will need for this project, cause you know, you use it on the next one. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of those benefits, cushioning the supply chain, if you will, kind of, you know, extra slack. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to continue. I, I also see as as things that we're not involved in, like building materials evolve um, and, you know, you, you keep chipping away at um, being able to do more and more custom looking without having to do you know everything on site (laughs) Hmm. measured on site cut on site installed on site to get the building you want so yeah it's been a strong trend before all I can say about the one year pandemic it did nothing to dampen the enthusiasm for prefab and modular but it was pretty strong trend to begin with that
1: makes sense and Matt as you guys were starting core form you know and then then the pandemic hit and the realization of what it means and what it what the work world might look like. Is there anything that made you think this is a better conditions than we than we thought for Core Form and what you're trying to do there? Like this is good for the simulation world or the analysis world?
6: Yeah, good question. I again nothing has nothing has gone down in all of the projects that we're working on with customers or I mean, as budgets are getting cut, none of the simulation budgets are getting cut. Um, so I, uh, I mean, it, I mean, it feels like I mean that's kind of the general. Generally, the value proposition of simulation is helping. I mean, decrease time to market, um, and, uh, and it, I think especially as other as other parts of like the design process are are changing, then the ability to have like a new simulation technology that can accept a lot of different inputs that can work seamless with new CAD. It, I think where we're at is I mean, 30 or 40 years ago when CAD and, and CAE um, originated, they kind of came from different mathematical backgrounds and so they've never been unified. And so now I think an opportunity that we see with with some of our customers is, is as, as new CAD develops, having a chance to have new simulation technologies that work hand in hand with those. It's kind of a, a chance that doesn't come around every generation.
1: Topology is a good example of that. It's like these are not two exactly. domains; these are yeah. yeah, build stuff that's not really exciting break stuff all at once. Yeah, Isvan, is it uh, your your counterposition on people working remotely? Doesn't isn't uh, one of the big drivers for Shaper three D? Is that is that people will be very fluid about where they're sitting and 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 where they're working?
5: Hard to tell, right? Um, it's uh, I mean, look, I, it, it, it's perfectly possible that I'm completely wrong, and I'm I'm a lunatic, and I'm just ignoring the sign of times, right? Uh, but yeah, I don't know, really. Yeah. I I don't want to go into any any further predictions. This is just no. my yeah
1: yeah <laughs> it totally makes sense. It, it it may well. I think that there we see it even within our our reasonably small company, 120 people, maybe a third of them are dying to get back in the office and really want to be there every day and around their colleagues. A third, yep. feel like being mostly remote has been great for them and highly productive. And Blake, your point about being home, holy cow. Like I haven't, most of us probably have the same situation. I haven't been home like this for decades and it's really great. There's a lot of great, great things about it. It's great for family life. It's great yep. for they health, it's great for your sleep. Yep. Um, and and, yeah, we're
3: on earth. Ron, I heard you say, you and I were talking once, and you said something that customers expect us to travel less over the last year, understandably, because nobody was getting on a plane for business travel. Uh, but that, so that bar for what the, customer, expect, the customer, customer expects me to be at this meeting or not, yeah. the bar for that has changed. It
1: has changed. Right. Has changed, right? Has changed, and,
3: and, changed, and I yeah. do think, you know. Ishpan's point earlier was, hey, you can't make all these predictions just based on these strange circumstances you're looking at right now. You have to kind of remember what normal was and make your predictions based on that. I do think it'll take a while to for that bar to creep back up to I got to jump on a plane and go see this customer or go see this business partner. I think it'll stay, this yeah. form here will stay, keep it pretty low. Yeah, so
5: I, I totally agree. So it's not going to uh, go back suddenly overnight that's for sure i'm i'm more talking about what's going to happen in two years three years i think right now what we are seeing especially at big companies it's a political game between employees and the company like there is a lot of push from the employees to uh to uh, to keep remote working while companies more certainly (laughs) Mm -hmm. most certainly prefer to have people in the office Mm -hmm. right so it's a it's uh War of worlds, I guess yeah. <laughs> uh, and it will take take some time to to get back to something that is more close to the old normal and and I'm not saying that nothing is going to change. I'm, I'm pretty sure that those companies that were completely inflexible, they will be much more flexible. that's for yeah. sure, right yeah. and and I, I think that also it makes sense to have maybe a day or maybe two days as a as a remote company every week that's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I I'm what I'm most skeptical about, to be honest, is the hybrid setup. I think it's inevitable that a hybrid setup leads to a first class and second class citizens in a company, simply because politics, company politics inevitably happen, no matter what you do, because that's that's just a human thing. And those relationships that are built in the office will be higher quality than those relationships that are built over Zoom. Right. And that will inevitably not not in, intentionally but inevitably make remote workers second-class citizens if there is a hybrid setup
1: right good well i've used the 45 minutes that i said we would we would use when travel gets back we will i know that the bar for travel is going to be higher like it's but tech talk events and stuff i mean that's pretty that's pretty easy to convince yourself that you want to show up at, at, at one of our <coughs> fun events and have conversations like these so Thanks for going. I'm going as best we can. (laughs) I'm in. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. Great conversation. Hope uh, you got reconnected with some folks you knew before or made some new friends. But this was cool. I have a lot of boring ass Zoom meetings, and I knew this wouldn't be one, and it wasn't.
4: This was terrific. Yeah.
3: Thank you.
1: Awesome, everybody. Nice seeing all Uh, of you. Hey, hey Blake,
3: I I need you on a call too. I have some situations I need to blow up. And uh, I'd like you to you just kind of come down. in and disrupt those for me. <laughs> <laughs> if, I could, if I could use you as a guest speaker, it would be beneficial. Right. Mark, anytime, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, take it easy everybody. Well, long, everyone. bye
1: everyone. See Great you guys. See y'all.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by Techsoft 3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at infotechsoft 3 dcom Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.